Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and a happy and blessed new year to you. Yeah, usually I've <clears throat> had the last word to preach on a given Sunday. It's been the last Sunday that's been my privilege in a year to preach, but Pastor Andy's turned things around this year, and he's given me the first Sunday. Um, I used to close the gate to the old year. Now I'm opening the door to the new year, and I appreciate that so much, Pastor Andy. Thank you for the privilege. Uh, interesting how we consider time. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, time crawled. Talk to any child or grandchild of yours. And uh, they were longing, awaiting Christmas morning. Time crawled for at least two to three weeks. And now it's just a week later, and the rest of the world is thinking, didn't time just fly? Like, where did that year go? Well, this morning I have for you, I believe, both a timeless and uh, timely message as we start a new year and a new series and uh, as we prepare the way of the Lord. Go with me, please, to Matthew chapter 3. Actually, it's Matthew 3, verses 1 to 15, but I'm only going to read the first three verses, where the Bible introduces us to a most exciting person. In fact, I don't know if there's any personality in Scripture more exciting or worthy of study next to Jesus himself than John the Baptist. I'm reading Matthew 3, verses 1 to 3. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. I want to introduce you to John the Baptist this new year because he was the forerunner. He was uh, the herald of the Messiah. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read that he was the son of the old age of Zacharias the priest and Elizabeth his wife. Uh, the Elizabeth, the Bible tells us, was the cousin, now listen, Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary of Nazareth. And these people, Zacharias and Elizabeth, lived, the Bible tells us, in the hill country of Judea. 
we read that immediately following the Annunciation, okay, so who's this Mary I just said? Well, immediately following the announcement by the angels to Mary that she would bear a son named Jesus, guess where Mary went? She hurried to that little town in Judea where Elizabeth lived and stayed with Elizabeth until Elizabeth had her baby. The circumstances of the birth of Christ, as you know, were quite incredible. But the circumstances of John the Baptist's birth are exciting as well because his birth was announced by an angel too. Uh, an angel appeared to Zacharias one day, and as he was serving as a priest, we read that event in Luke chapter 1, verse 9, and by prophecy it was told that <clears throat> the baby born to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth would be great in the sight of the Lord. Then we read of the intriguing account of the doubt of Zacharias, and after all, he was an old man, and Elizabeth was old, and he doubted that they could have the joy of having their own son, and so because of his doubt, he lost the power of speech until that child was born. Then his tongue was loosened, the Bible says, and Zacharias prophesied and said, you must call his name John, and that name has been selected in heaven for him, just as the name Jesus was selected for Jesus. By this story, there were some tremendous and dramatic turns. Like when Mary visited Elizabeth during the time of her pregnancy, both women are expecting now. The Bible says that as the two women greeted each other, the babies in their wombs recognized the presence of each other and leapt for joy. Now, that's a most remarkable verse of Scripture. Talk about a fetus not becoming a human being until the moment of birth. Next time you hear someone talking about abortion, think about this scriptural reference. Some people have it all wrong. There was a spiritual knowing by these two baby boys before birth. Could that be possible? Well, we read that John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. I wonder if there's any pregnant women in the crowd this morning, and may God's special blessing be upon you today and for a new year. But I would suggest that you take not just a blessing away with you today, but a lesson from Scripture and make it your business to be filled with the Holy Spirit as these two women were. It could well be that as you're filled with the Holy Spirit during these very special months of your pregnancy, and as you carry that little life under your heart, 
it, it could well be that something divine, something wonderful could happen in the life of your precious unborn child. I read Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost and Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit and John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb and leapt in the presence of Jesus. I just want to say to blessed are these children who grow up in homes where Christ is honored and where the Holy Spirit is welcomed. Blessed are these boys and girls who have mothers who are filled with the Holy Spirit even before they were born. You know, Christmas is over and uh, we're all breathing a sigh of relief, especially if you're a parent, <laughs> because you know that you were more than willing to make no small sacrifice to ensure your child's wish list was answered on Christmas morning. You know the pressure. But let me ask you to, to look beyond the wish list of a child's understanding and maybe a child's imagination this morning. And let me ask you to find for yourself today one of the greatest benefits that you can bestow on your family. And that is the benefit of a godly home life and the benefit of a godly lifestyle. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that the believing husband or the believing wife sanctifies the home. That's to say God gives a spiritual covering to that home. As I read it, God gives a spiritual advantage of spiritual blessings to, to that marriage partner, even if the partner's an unbeliever or a believer. It gives a spiritual advantage of the blessing of God and to the children too. I believe that with my whole heart. And Christian friend, your immediate family has been blessed just by your association with Jesus. For one thing, you're a better person because you've given your heart to Christ. A better husband, a better wife. But the blessing of God touches all those around, whether they're resistant to the gospel or open to it. They've been blessed because of it. Their lives have been made better. But getting back to John the Baptist now, the Bible says he was a Nazarite, separated unto God from birth. So neither his lifestyle, the cut of his clothes, the food he ate, even his sermons, none of those were cut according to the normal pattern. He was different. And when he became mature as a man, he retreated from the company of others so that he could be in the company of God, in the silences of the wilderness. Let me speak about his ministry, though. He had a powerful impact upon the nation. In fact, 
his could only be compared with the impact of the ministry of Elijah. You remember that Elijah was called, quote, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, unquote. What does that mean? That means that he was considered the first line of defense for his nation, for his country. And friends, that's true of, of any generation. It's the people that pray, the people who know God, the people who walk with God are the first line of defense. And I say thank God for Army, Navy, Air Force, and Armed Forces. But it's not just Armed Forces, friends. The first line of defense for a nation are the people who know God. Well, John the Baptist was likened to Elijah. He was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. And Jesus said of John that he was a prophet, in fact, more than a prophet, born among women, none has appeared greater than John the Baptist. John was a, a man with a high calling. Although his pulpit was a stone in the desert somewhere, his audience was all of Jerusalem and Judea and and uh, the region around the Jordan. His audience was all those who went out to him at the Jordan River to be baptized by him, confessing their sin. He had a great impact on his people, and Jesus saw it. Listen, friends, it doesn't make any difference what the world says about you. It really doesn't make any difference what society says about you. But what Jesus says about you is all important. That matters tremendously. Now, when the crowd asked Jesus about John the Baptist, Jesus said, there has not appeared a greater than John the Baptist. For John was a man sent from God. He was a burning and shining light. He made kings to tremble. He pandered to no one. And he paid the price of his courage in prison through a martyr's death. You look at his story and you realize... John the Baptist was great because he had great convictions. What a lesson for our time. Because, you know, around Victoria, there's a lot of people who tell you what they don't believe. Oh, I don't believe in that, and I don't believe in this, and I don't believe in the other. <laughs> and you probe them a little deeper, and you find out, well, you... What do you believe? That's a terrible place to be. It shows that there is a lack in our world because great convictions make great people. And it's a lack of conviction of what is right and what is true 
and what is pure and what is good that threatens our world today. In fact, it's a lack of conviction which threatens the pulpits and congregations and churches of our land today, let alone our neighborhoods. Friends, we need great convictions. We need great Bible convictions. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. John knew what he believed. He had great convictions and he shared them. He believed that the kingdom of God was at hand. I believe that too. Believe it with all my heart. He believed that people must repent of their sins and get right with God. I believe that. I believe it with all my heart. He believed that Christ was at hand. And I believe that too. Jesus is coming soon. And John believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the only Savior of the world. And with those simple and powerful convictions, John shook his world. Anybody who has convictions will shake their world as well. John was great in his convictions. He knew what he believed. He wasn't pushed around by every wind of doctrine trying to keep pace with all the changes in religion and society. No, John was fixed on great truth that never changes. Truth about God and truth about life and truth about heaven. And thank God for people like that, great in their convictions, like Apostle Paul. You want to say, I, I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I just know him. John was also great in humility. He was a powerful orator. I, I, I don't know if he was an eloquent speaker, but he was effective, and he certainly was successful. They thronged out from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region around to hear his fiery sermons in the wilderness. And then to respond to his invitation to actually step out and to present themselves for baptism. One preacher said that perhaps never in the history of Israel had there been so many lost working hours as occurred when people left their farms and shops and businesses compelled to go hear what was going on in the wilderness of Judea under the ministry of John. Compelled by his message. And so soldiers came, and tax collectors came, and Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious establishment came. He was so popular, he, I think he could have started a new religion, or maybe formed a new government. He was such a phenom. People wondered out loud if he was Elijah come back, or one of the prophets, or even if he was... Christ himself. 
And I think they would have accepted John for any assessment he would have put on himself. Many a man has formed a new denomination or split a church or imagined himself to be a new Messiah with less opportunity than John had. But I want you to notice his humility. He never took advantage of the immense popularity he had. He never used it for his personal advantage. He, he, he never let it get to his head. When they asked him, who are you, John? He'd say, it doesn't make any difference who I am. It's who he is. It's he who is all important. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm a nobody. It doesn't make any difference who I am. The important thing is that you, what you need to know is who Jesus is. Oh, I say thank God for people with that kind of self-effacing humility who turn the spotlight on Jesus and say it doesn't make any difference about the church doesn't make any difference about the preacher. It doesn't make any difference about the messenger. The one who truly makes a difference in this world is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who we need. It's Jesus who is the exalted one. And it's Jesus who should be glorified. John was great in his humility and great in his conviction. But he was great in courage, too. The soldiers came to him asking, what shall we do, John? And he said, well, you, you soldiers do no violence and be content with your wages. What? You soldiers do no violence and be content with your wages. So don't overstep your place. Just do your job. He didn't say defund. He spoke to those men who took their job seriously and said, you got to do it this way. Then the tax collectors came to him with the same thing. And they said, what should we do? And he said, well, no gouging. Don't take advantage of people. You wonder some times how that would go down today. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were glad to see another religious man in the community. The Pharisees were the religious intelligentsia. I don't know if they were ready for John. They were the people who thought that they, they had it made and that they were on the inside track with God, and John said to them, you snakes, you vipers, you think your traditions will save you. He actually said that. What he was saying was, you, you, you people are so religiously smug, you need to have an experience with God. Not just ritual, you need reality. And friends... Canada needs preachers like that. 
like John the Baptist, who will speak with conviction and humility and courage. It was John who looked Herod right in the eye, and he said, it's not right for you to shack up with your brother's wife. And for that, John the Baptist got thrown into Macarius' prison. And after a while, they chopped off his head. He died there because he preached the truth. That's a strange world we live in. Well, there's one more thing I want us to consider about John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. And that is his message. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 41, the people were remembering John the Baptist and were comparing him to Jesus. And this is what the Bible says. The people said, John did no miracles, but all things he said of this man, of Jesus, were true. Well, what did John say about Jesus? Did he say Jesus was a good man? The flowering of evolution? If he said that, I think the sands of time would have obliterated John the Baptist's name. What did he say about Jesus then? Did he say that Jesus was a great teacher and philosopher, a paragon of virtue and truth, a founder of one of the great ethical religions of the world? No. No, he didn't say that either, because if he would have said that, I don't think his message would have lasted very long again. Well, what did he say about Jesus? This is what he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He must increase, and I must decrease. He baptizes with the Holy Ghost and fire. John spoke to the heart of Jesus' coming. That's why John talked about sin. He said, sin's the problem. We need a cure for sin. Sin's a problem for human hearts, for human families, human marriages, governments, countries. Sin is a problem. Oh, but there's an answer. For God has sent the lamb, his lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and Jesus is the substitute for sinners. Jesus is the one who makes atonement and who pays the sin debt for everyone. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The central message of John's preaching was atonement. And that should be the central message of every sermon preached from every pulpit in every church, every time a preacher stands to preach in any pulpit, in any city, in any province of our nation. Because we need to hear that message. We need to get right with God. We need to get our lives in order. 
And the way to do that is by getting our eyes on Jesus. He's the answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Remember that song? I'm reaching back, but he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Savior. One of my favorite scenes in the Bible was when Jesus came down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Now, I got to be very careful because I heard the guy who preached that Jordan baptized Jesus in the John, and that's not, <laughs> you got to slow down. You got to slow down. Uh, Jesus comes down to where John is, and uh, John hesitates. He's, he's, Jesus is standing in front of him. John's standing in the water in the Jordan. And John wants to defer. He said, no, Jesus, no, no, <laughs> you should baptize me. But Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 3, it must be you baptize me, John, for in this way we will fulfill all righteousness. I get excited about that expression because it tells me Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness. He did that when he lived a pure and holy life without sin. He did that when he went to Calvary's cross. He did that when he rose again and ascended on high, and now he intercedes for us on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus fulfills all righteousness. And who did he do that for? <laughs> for us. He did that for you and me. He didn't have to go and be baptized. That was the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Jesus didn't have any sins to repent of. But he went there to identify himself with you and me. He was our substitute. And he fulfilled all righteousness. He kept the law of God perfectly. And then he took that broken law to Calvary's cross and he died the just for the unjust, the Bible says. He fulfilled all righteousness on my behalf. And I say thanks be to God for that. This new year, 2022, there's nothing left to pay. Jesus paid it all. Because Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, all you need to do is to come to him now. Come to the cross. Say, I'm sorry for my old ways. I want to follow you, Jesus. He'll forgive you. He'll clothe you with the garment, the covering of his righteousness. And you can stand faultless before a holy God and enter into a holy heaven because of Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul said, Jesus Christ is to us righteousness, 
sanctification, and redemption. Oh, I'm so glad he came, aren't you? We are made complete in him. He is all you need, sir. He is all you need, ma'am. Young person, Jesus is all you need. Worship him. Surrender to him. Live for him. Hail him as your Lord. And you will have not just a great year ahead, but you'll be set for eternity. Let's stand together. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message today from your word. We've talked of John the Baptist, but he's pointed us to you. And Lord, we thank you for any message that points us to the Savior. Lord, there are people here today that just need to open their hearts to you in a new way, and I pray for your blessing upon them as they do that now. Lord, come into our lives, come into our hearts. There are many of us, Lord, who've walked the journey for many years. For them, I pray, conviction and humility and courage. May this be a great year of sharing the good news and the truth about a great God who loves us all. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. And we commit ourselves to you this morning. In your great name we pray. Amen.